Today's Word of God is from Luke chapter 3. The setting of these words is not when Jesus is a baby, but when he's 30 years old, and he and John the Baptist uh, have yet really to be introduced to the public, to the, to the community at the time. And so this is really the beginning of the Jesus' public ministry and the introduction of John the Baptist who introduces Jesus. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Here's the scene. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Idaria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord. So this burgundy Toyota Prius pulls up to my neighbor's house across the street, and, uh, and a middle-aged woman gets out, and she's wearing jeans, tennis shoes, kind of normal, casual clothes, but she's also wearing this neon yellow, like, construction vest. And uh, she goes to the back of the Prius, opens, opens the hatch, the trunk, and pull out, pulls out a box, a regular brown cardboard box about the size of a pillow, and uh, takes it and walks up my neighbor's steps to the front door, drops the front door, gets out her phone, thumbs on her phone a little bit, a little bit longer than the normal UPS or FedEx guy does, and then makes her way back to her car, and off she goes. And uh, I thought, okay, I, I think I get that. Did a, did a little Googling, and sure enough, UPS is hiring 100,000 seasonal workers. Why? Of course, to help them with the greater demand for deliveries during the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's holiday season. Uh, and they're not alone, right? FedEx, Target, all, all these companies are hiring seasonal employees, making the changes necessary to help them meet the needs, meet the demands. It happens. So, you and I do the same thing, actually, don't we? We, uh, we make changes necessary for meeting the needs of the, of the season, of the Christmas season, of our celebration. Maybe that means you adjust your home decor. Maybe that means you bake sugar cookies. Maybe that means you make travel plans to see your family. But we make changes that are necessary to meet the needs and to celebrate the Christmas season. Uh, now, here's the challenge. How do you know you're ready? How do you know you're prepared? There's this setting here in Luke chapter 3 that, that helps us to understand this and that helps us be prepared, that helps us say, okay, here are the most important changes that need to take place in order for me to celebrate the season and celebrate it well. There's a challenge when it comes to this. And the challenge is that I might think that 
the changes necessary for me to celebrate the season are being made by Amazon or by Costco putting extra shrimp cocktail trays at the end of the aisle. And if all of them take care of their pre-season planning, then that's what I need. And there's a different story to the changes we need to make to be prepared for the season. It's all about preparing our hearts as we prepare a way for the Lord. And so today we're going to see that as God found a way to send John the Baptist and introduce Jesus, as God even found a way 30 years before that for Jesus, his son, to be born, so God finds a way for, our, for the newness of, of our celebration of Christmas to make new changes in our life. And when I say life, that's, that's living with Jesus, living with faith and joy in Jesus. So how does God find a way? God found a way then. He finds a way now. Uh, another challenge to this besides us expecting Amazon or shrimp cocktail or Southwest Airlines to prepare us is the political mess that existed when Jesus was 30 years old and was introduced to the scene very similar in ways to the political landscape today. Let's start. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Or introducing all these politicians, these government rulers. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. It would be difficult to put together a list of a few more deplorable political government leaders than the men named here. All right, Tiberius Caesar. He's the son of, the stepson actually, of Caesar Augustus. So when Jesus was born, right, in the days of Caesar Augustus, so Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the Roman Empire when Jesus was born. Now when Jesus is 30 years old, his stepson, Tiberius, is the Caesar or emperor. Uh, the Roman imperial leaders waited and waited and waited for, for Caesar Augustus to have a biological son that he could give the empire to. And when he didn't have a biological son, they were like, eh, okay, let's just have Tiberius be the Caesar. They really weren't excited about him being the leader of the entire Roman Empire, and, uh, and he also committed some treacheries during his rule as well, Tiberius did. Pontius Pilate, he became governor of Judea in 26 AD. We know him from the crucifixion story three years later than this, right? He's the one who participates with the Jewish leaders to put Jesus to death, um, and his paranoia then in the crucifixion account is, is true of his personality and his character. Uh, he's a governor of the Roman Empire, and so his boss is Caesar, but he also has control over the province of Judea. Uh, Pilate was known for antagonizing his Roman superiors and also for inflicting atrocities on the citizens of his province. Pilate would often unleash Roman soldiers to go and create havoc on the Jewish people, like violent, physical torture and trouble, just to remind them who's the boss and not to engage in some kind of riots, right? And you see that in his mind in the crucifixion account, so that's Pontius Pilate. Then you have Herod, tetrarch of Galilee. So this is Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. Herod the Great was Herod when Jesus was born, 30 years later. We have Herod Antipas. 
And he is called Tetrarch because that, that means four. So he is the ruler of actually a fourth of the province, and he shares that rule with three other guys. So Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his title actually is King of the Jews. And this Herod, Antipas, is a pretty unstable and dangerous guy. He executed three of his sons and his wife when he, just, when he thought that they were plotting against him and wanted to take his throne. He just, he just assassinated them, killed them off. He's the one who would soon also behead John the Baptist. That's Herod here, Tetrarch of Galilee. And the religious leaders weren't a lot better. We have Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, the religious leaders, really, in that day, the high priests, Annas is high priest, um, he, he really sold out to the empire, became much more of a political figure than a spiritual leader. As a matter of fact, and then he didn't get along with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire deposed him of his position of being the Jewish high priest. It shows you how political it became. They have no, they can't tell the Jewish people how to rule their religion, and yet they deposed the high priest and put Caiaphas, his son-in-law, in his place, but Annas and the people still insisted that he was a high priest, and so you have this co-high priesthood. Now, and even when Jesus was crucified, both Annas and Caiaphas are still in the story, right? But they had sold out and become much more political figures. Caiaphas is the one when, when the people brought Jesus, Caiaphas is the one who said, yeah, we got to put this guy to death. One man must die for the people. So there you have it. There is the scene. Think of a pious Jewish believer hanging on to the prophecies of the Old Testament, promising a Messiah, a Savior, and how little those people had to put their hopes in. The, the scene around them, the, the, their religious leaders had sold out to be more political leaders. The prophet hadn't been on the scene in over 700 years. There was no prophet of God to lead the way. And, and they had to be full of fear that the, the reigning Roman Empire had such a strong grip on Jerusalem and the Judean province and all of all the promised land, all of Palestine, who is going to wrench them free from that? It didn't seem like anything was going to happen anytime soon. And against this setting then, the Bible here in Luke introduces John the Baptist. And he's everything different than those rulers and even the religious leaders of the day. John's out in the wilderness, in the desert, region around Jerusalem. He's not in the city. He's, he's out there in the middle of nowhere, eating locusts and wild honey, wearing camel's hair, and uh, just looks like a crazy guy compared to all the rulers and their palaces and all the, all the power that, that, the, that they loved. Here's John the Baptist, and then it says this, the word of God came not to Annas, not to Caiaphas, not to Herod, not to Pontius Pilate, not to Caesar. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's good news for people who are looking for hope. Except, here, here's the bad news. For people of, of the Jewish people who hadn't had a prophet on the scene in centuries, they started to put their hopes in the political environment and landscape around them. Just like, remember, the Israelites of old wanted a king? 
So the challenge here is that the people of this day also wanted to put their hopes in, a, in an earthly and a visible kingdom around them. And if they continued to do that, they were going to miss it. So, like the Israelites of old, we can do the same thing. The Israelites of old who wanted a king, we can put our hopes in the political environment of our day. We can look to uh, not just king and government, but our idea of what king and government should operate like and who the ruling political party should be. And when that doesn't satisfy and fulfill us, we lose our hope. So this is part of the message of Advent when the Bible introduces John the Baptist. Isn't this relevant from, from this about 26, 28 AD or so to today? Uh, where are we putting our hopes? So I just got to say it. If political frustration can rouse your anxiety or ruin your day, I need to ask you where you're putting your hope. We need to stop fretting over a government or rulers that don't that don't rule like we want them to. We have to stop putting so much effort and energy mentally, emotionally, monetarily into our idea of the right political landscape and ruling political party of the day as if our hopes for everything were dependent on that. If we are so busy with political rants on Facebook, our fears about federal interest rates, so tied up in that, we're going to miss the word of God came to John. And it comes to us if we're looking for it. Can we stop blaming the lack of prayer in public schools or other public gatherings as a reason that our prayer life is less than it should be? Can we stop pointing the finger at politicians who don't say Merry Christmas, but they say Happy Holidays, as if that ruins our Christmas and we can't say Merry Christmas? Do you see what's happening there? So, the, right, the the political landscape is sucking us in to think the same thing that the people in this, right here in Luke 3, we're thinking. And there's more to life. Oh, there's more to God's plans. The Word of God comes to John, and it comes to us. And where did the Word of God come to John? Not in the city. Not in the political arena, not, in, not where all the government rulers were empowered to do their... They came to John in the wilderness. See, so are we willing to leave the busyness of, of, this, of the city scene, of, of, of business and economy and politics? It's, it's all good until it prevents us from hearing the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with the city life. There's people who love the city life. I love the city life. But, but are we willing to leave it in order to hear the word of God, that God has, God has something to say to us? And he comes to us. Why? 
so that we might be filled with repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So think of this. What if it were to say this? In the third year of the Trump administration, when the Democrats controlled the House and the Republicans controlled the Senate, and George H.W. Bush was buried in Texas, the Lord finds a way. Like today, just like he did back then. The Lord finds a way for his word to come to you. The Lord finds a way for his word to come to you in the wilderness. Well, where's that? The hill country? Mm, maybe. But how about this? The wilderness is the place. The wilderness is a place where we don't have the amenities of the city. The wilderness is a place where we can't enjoy the good things of life that we normally enjoy. The wilderness is a place where we might get lost or feel lost or need direction or not have everything that we think we need for life. The world, wilderness is, is maybe a, a, a mental place, a place of, of, of our mind wandering and wandering about life's direction, about career path, about how to be a better parent. It can be a place of loneliness, a place of difficulty, a place of not having enough. All of that is our wilderness, and the Bible said that the Word of God came there to John and God, and the Lord finds a way. So, let's focus on that then. The Word of God coming to us in our wilderness, and now we're ready for this news, like a public service announcement of Pflugerville about the upcoming road projects, and there's plenty of them. The Bible announces in Luke 3, beginning at verse 4, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. See, in ancient times when kings would, would travel to other kingdoms or, or to visit other rulers or travel within their kingdom, they would travel in caravans, much like a, a, a security caravan today with uh, black armored vehicles, right? And so they would travel in those caravans. They would send construction crews ahead of them, though, to make sure that the path that the highway was smooth. Because if it wasn't, if they had to stop or stall or detour, what happens then in ancient times that creates a danger that they could more, be more easily attacked by enemies. So they sent road construction crews ahead of kings to prepare the way, to make the rough places smooth, the crooked paths straight, so that they could travel and be much more accessible. So what's your road construction? What's your road work so that your way can be clear to see God's salvation? How about the crooked ways? 
the crooked ways that are just easy detours off of the off of the way to the Lord. But those crooked ways, they're very attractive. They're experiences, even good experiences that can be good experiences until they distract you from the way. Straighten those out and focus on making the path straight to the Lord, right? Straighten the crooked way. Find the potholes in your life. You know the potholes that sink you down? Despair, fear, loneliness, anxiety, depression are real. Find them and fill them in. Fill them in with the joy and the peace that Jesus gives that is otherworldly and beyond this world, and he can smooth out that way. Find your potholes, fill them in. How about replacing mounds of, of pride and, and mountaintops of uh, our own personal plans as if that is the only way and smoothing those out so that we take the Lord's way. That, that hit me this last year. I, I pray a lot more differently now instead of praying my own way and saying, God, can you endorse this? I pray more of a, uh, I call that a shopping list prayer. God, I want organic veggies and I want salmon and I want, right, give me this and then my shopping cart will be full and everything will be okay. Um, it's not wrong to ask God for things he tells us to, but along with that, Comes, comes the uh, thy will be done, understanding and faith. And so I allow more in my prayer life to be more of an open, an open whiteboard with nothing on it. Not a list, but just a blank piece of paper and to give it to God and say, God, this is, this is what I'm thinking, but you know better what I need. Um, I'm not going to give you my mountaintop plans, what I think you should do, but I know, God, you can create a much higher mountain than mine. Uh, and so mountaintops of plans, mounds of pride, smooth those out, and, uh, and we find that we're more on the Lord's way, even in our own prayer life. And then how about the rough ridges of our bad habits? We know what they are. They grind against the, the smooth paths that God has for us. Are we willing to go there? And sometimes those rough ridges take a long time, can even be chronic enough that they last an entire lifetime. Rather than just shrugging our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way I am. Why not being willing to, be willing to go there? To go there and let God, in his way, smooth out our rough ridges or our bad habits. So it's all about this, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that looks like road construction. Don't be afraid of it. It's God doing his work, and that's the gift that he gives to you, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism, like a Christmas gift, involves no work on our part. It's a gift of God that he gives, and it unites us with Jesus. And by Jesus, we make the rough places smooth and the way straight to God. i got to tell you a story about Domino's Pizza. Um, they benefited from this process of being uh, honest and open with themselves and with other people like a repentance process for us. I just have to be willing to point out my potholes and say they, they exist, they're real, they're there, and then deal with them. I have to be really willing to uh, identify the rough edges in me and on me and say, let's take care of them, God. Jesus, let's do this together. If I'm not open and willing, like we heard in First John chapter 1, 
If I'm not willing to confess, I'm just lying to myself. I'm lying to God too. So there's this great story about Domino's Pizza being willing to be open and honest with themselves and with people. About 2011, 2012, finally, it took years. This goes all the way back to my college days, I remember. Domino's Pizza is bad. It's we, like, compared it to the cardboard that it came in when it was delivered to us. Even as college kids, if you say pizza's bad, it's got to be pretty bad, right? So around the year 2012 or so, Domino's created this advertising campaign that basically said, our pizza stinks. They are, like, open and real and honest. And so uh, I just read about this. Here's what it says. They launched an advertising campaign to blatantly confess the poor quality of their product. They embraced honesty and openness uncommon in successful marketing in a way no other brand had done, basically stating our pizza stinks. They faced their critics with a plan to redesign their pizza from the crust up and promised they would change. CEO of Domino's Patrick Doyle accepted invitations to speak on radio, to appear on TV interviews, or even just to meet up in conversations. Here's what happened. Between 2013 and 2014, Domino's profits soared by 16%. Stocks went up 30%. And the people responded, not just to Domino's saying, our pizza stinks, but also to them promising that they're going to change it, and they did. Here's what the Business Insider wrote. It said, the pizza is actually better now, and the marketing campaigns are cheesy good instead of just cheesy. Here's the point. Honesty and openness contradicted right, the going understanding of, of business sense and marketing of the day. You just don't do that. You spin a story and you cover it up. They, they were open and honest, and it worked. For us to be open and honest in our lives of spiritual movement and growth, of preparing for Christmas, and to say, here's the potholes, here's the ridges, here's the mountains. God, you're sending Jesus Let's take care of it. And what's it all for? What's, what's all the road work, all the road construction? What's it all for? That's not the point. That's, that's to get to the point. What's it all for is in the final words of this verse. It's up here, Luke 3, verse 6. What does God, what God, what does God want? He wants a smooth path. He wants a straight path. He wants to clear the way, to prepare the way. Why? So that all people will see God's salvation. So when you and I face our our crooked ways, our potholes, face detours that distract us from God, when when we face those, when, when we're in the wilderness and we're wondering and we're wandering and we say, there's no way, it's then that the Lord finds a way. Follow it in faith and repentance. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so faithful and so willing in your grace to find us when we, because of distractions and difficulties and and weak faith and troubled lives, aren't out looking for you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to find a way for him to be born into our world and be our savior. We thank you for finding a way in the political landscape of uh, his adulthood to introduce him to the world. 
and to offer him as a sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for finding a way for him to come to us in our baptism. And we pray, Lord God, that you find a way this Christmas for him to be born anew in, in a newness of life and, and spiritual growth for us in our hearts. Help us to prepare for that and to be ready for your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.